generously in this time. Lord, I pray that even though sometimes we, we come, we know your spirit is at work, but we don't personally have that inner feeling of your presence, I pray that you would overcome our hardness of heart this morning, our coldness of spirit, and Lord, by the Holy Spirit, that you would implant in us the truth of God's word, that we might go out of this place empowered to love you, love our neighbors, and be the presence of Christ in the world. Lord, do that now. Begin that transformation process through the preaching of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 104 reminds me that David was from, uh, you know, the, from the southern part of Israel, uh, Judea. And you can tell he was because it says yonder. Yonder is the, great, this is the sea, great and wide. I just love yonder is in the Bible. It makes me feel good because that's my major directions. You know, if somebody asks me, that's over yonder. And if you're not from around here, you just don't know exactly what that means, but it's good stuff. Um, I love this passage that we read out of actually John's gospel this morning. Uh, it occurred to me as I was preparing to, uh, to preach this morning, as I was preparing the sermon um, this week, I realized that John's gospel is the Pentecostal gospel. John's gospel is the Pentecostal gospel. In John, Jesus has more to say about the person and work of the Holy Spirit than he does in any of the, of the other gospels, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He doesn't speak nearly as much about the Holy Spirit as he does in John's gospel. And so it's a fitting reading for this morning, this day of Pentecost. And that emphasis on the Holy Spirit makes John look like he's jumping the gun in telling us about the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's the passage that we're reading this morning, it's Resurrection Sunday evening, and instead of waiting until Pentecost, it sounds like Jesus is telling his disciples to receive the Spirit. Doesn't Jesus know that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be born, uh, poured out on the day of Pentecost and not on the day of resurrection? So how did John get Pentecost mixed up with Easter Sunday? Well, different scholars have different views of, and uh, different ways of addressing the problem of what like, looks like two Pentecosts in the New Testament, two major occasions associated with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. But I think the text that we read out of John chapter 20 and uh, Acts chapter 2 this morning, those texts themselves offer sufficient harmony and clarity so that we do not have to chase speculations. Here's the difference between that Easter Sunday evening in John's account and Pentecost in the book, book of Acts. Listen, this is critical to, to everything that comes after this. John's gospel presents a commissioning a commissioning with the Holy Spirit. Luke's account in Acts demonstrates the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the difference. John's gospel speaks of the commissioning with the Holy Spirit. Luke's book of Acts speaks of the empowering of the Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost. Here's how you can tell there is a difference. After Jesus breathes on the disciples and commissions them in the book of John, in the gospel of John, what happens? Well, the disciples don't seem to be particularly energized or empowered for any new kind of ministry. In fact, just a little while after the resurrection, Peter says to the guys, Hey, I'm going fishing. You want to come? 
And so they all head back up to Galilee, and it looks like they're going back to their old lives. They have been given the commission of ministry, but the power and the drive to enact it remains elusive. They still need to be filled with power from on high, and that will happen 50 days after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. That's what we celebrate today is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So John's account and the Acts account are dependent upon each other. Here's what I mean, and here's how it applies to us this morning. I want to suggest to you that, it, it, that, it, that, in, um, that in looking at John's commissioning, we can understand when we look at the commissioning that is in John's gospel, John chapter 20, commissioning with the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand why and for what, why and for what the power of the Holy Spirit is given on the day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2. By the way, I just love to get to say Phrygia and Pamphylia and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia. That's why I went to seminary, y'all, so I can read that passage. There you go. And thus, what happens in the room behind locked doors in John's gospel, in this passage from John chapter 20, directly applies to our experience today as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's just jump right into it. So again, the scene in John's gospel is that it is the day of the resurrection. It's the first Easter. The disciples have heard the testimony of Mary Magdalene, that she has encountered the risen Jesus, Peter and John have run to the tomb and found it empty, but so far the disciples have not encountered Christ. They remain locked behind closed doors for fear of the religious authorities. And you know, given what they had just done a few days, couple of days prior to this, some of them may be dreading meeting the risen Christ. Think about their denials and abandonment. And it is in that moment when they are behind closed doors that the risen Lord Jesus appears to them. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth is shalom, or peace be with you. That was the typical greeting of that day and place, but it means more in this particular situation. The disciples had all recently deserted Jesus for fear of their own lives. And so, as I said, maybe some of them are saying, ooh, Jesus has risen from the dead. We are in big trouble. They would expect a rebuke, or they would respect, expect judgment from the risen Lord. But instead, when he shows up, he bids them peace. They expect to hear, you guys really blew it, but the victory of the resurrection is so complete that Christ's love and joy have swallowed up their failures. And that's good news. It applies to you and I today. The victory of the resurrection means when we're expecting to hear from the Lord Jesus, you really blew it, he says, peace be unto you. I'm glad to know that. I'm glad to know that. That's gospel. That's good news. And then Jesus demonstrates that he is indeed the one that they knew by showing them the scars of the crucifixion. This is not a ghost or hallucination. This is Jesus in his physical, glorified, resurrected body. And the very next thing, so after that, peace be unto you, the very next thing he does after he shows them his, hand and his hands and his side is that he commissions them 
for ministry in the world. Jesus said to them, this is the scripture we just heard. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So as the Father sent Jesus, the incarnate word of God, into the world, so now Jesus is sending his disciples. What does that mean? It means that he, listen, he is commissioning the church to be the ongoing body of Christ. Oh, here it is. The real presence of Jesus in the world. This is why Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that the church can carry on his presence and his own amazing ministry in the world that God loves so much. Peter Lightheart writes, What John says is evident all through the New Testament once we begin looking for it. Nearly everything Scripture says about Jesus is said about his disciples who have become like him by the work of his Spirit. He is Son. We are sons. He is king. We are kings and priests in him. He is the chief cornerstone of a new temple. We are all living stones. He is a dwelling place of God, but the spirit inhabits us too. He is in the Father and the Father in him, but by the spirit they dwell in us and we in them. He is Christed. In other words, he is anointed by the spirit. But we are christened by the very same spirit. We're going to have a baptism in the next service. We're going to be praying for that little boy that when his faith encounters the sacrament of baptism on whatever day God sovereignly arranges that to occur, he will be christened with the Holy Spirit. He died and rose, Lightheart says. We die and rise in him. In, in some, as he is, so also are we in this world. I can't make this point strongly enough. Listen, this is, you want to know the, the mission of the church in, the, in a nutshell? Do you want to know Christ's church's mission in a nutshell? It is to be Jesus to the world. We are to be Jesus to the world. It's no good saying, oh, if Jesus were only here, because Jesus is here. Through his church, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why, that is why... That is why it is so devastating when the church sins and when we fail to live out the life of Christ before the world. It is devastating because we are the only Jesus the world is going to have to see. We're the only Jesus the world can touch. And when we don't live into that in our sin, we, it, it has devastating consequences. My heart is heavy, it has been now for, for several weeks, just after respected and well-known Christian leader, people who weren't, you know, flamboyant kind of, you know, televangelist types. I'm talking about solid Christian leaders that people said, be like that guy. And, but no, don't be like that guy. Because he was living a double life. And it breaks my heart because, you know, that as leaders in the church and as the body of Christ together, we're the only Jesus that this unbelieving world gets to see. And when we fail morally like that, it, we lose our witness. And the world can't see Jesus. And then Jesus does something very strange in this passage right after this. 
And when he had said this, once he's commissioned them, he breathed on them and said to them, he breathed on them? Hey, resurrection breath, it's good. <laughs> he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on them. What in the world is all that about? The, the Greek verb used in that phrase, he breathed on them. It can also be translated like this. He breathed into them occurs only here and nowhere else in the entire New Testament. That verb occurs only in this one spot in the entire New Testament. But it does occur in two significant places in the Septuagint. What in the world is the Septuagint? It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which was mostly what people were reading even in Palestine in this time, uh, has two other occasions in which that verb that was used, he breathed on them, that same verb is used. Now, the first place it occurs is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord, formed, uh, then the Lord God formed the man out of, uh, of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, breathed into him the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So what's going on here? Well, inspired by the Holy Spirit, John the Evangelist, John the Gospel writer, wants us to see two things here. First of all, the one, listen, the one who breathed the breath of life into Adam is the very one who has appeared in that closed room with the disciples on the first Easter Sunday evening. The one who breathed into Adam's nostrils is now in the room with you. That's the connection. And the second thing here is that in giving us the gift of the new spirit, by breathing into us the spirit, just like when Adam had the breath of God breathed into his nostrils, we are new creations. By the, word, by the way, the word breath uh, in, in, in Hebrew and in Greek can mean, in, in Hebrew it's ruach, it can mean wind, it can mean breath, it can mean spirit. The Greek word pneuma, same thing. It can mean wind, it can mean breath, it can mean spirit. So here's what's going on. When that Holy Spirit is given to those disciples, here's what the Lord is saying by doing that. I am making you a new creation. This is just like when the, when the first man was made. That's how new you are. I am making you a new creation. We need that. This is the regenerating work of the Spirit in the life of anyone who truly trusts Jesus Christ for salvation. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There is a discontinuity between the old you and the new you. In the new you, the man of flesh has been put away by faith in Christ, and you have put on Christ like a garment. You're a new creation. And how does that happen? It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this. There are not enough bootstraps in creation for you to bootstrap yourself into being a new creation. This is God's work in our lives. 
And when we see that transforming work in our own life, we know that something new and radical has happened to us. We don't even feel the same way we felt. We don't think the same thoughts we were thinking. We don't behave in the same ways we behaved. There's something radically transformed about, about us. I know people who look different after they got saved. And I was one of them. Because all of a sudden I became incredibly attractive to young women. I'm just let that one just, Lisa is not here to contradict this. We become new creations. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you, turns you into a new person when you come to Christ. Now, the second place the verb used in he breathed on them is found in the Old Testament. And found in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9. And it's the valley of the dry bones. Remember this one? And then he said to me, he said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. The vision of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel refers to how God is going to reconstitute, to bring back to life his people who have been scattered and taken into exile because of their faithlessness, the rebellion, and sin against their covenant God. It is a vision of God forgiving an exiled people and creating a new community by the power of the Holy Spirit, the breath, the ruach. And that's exactly what we see happening, actually, in the passage from Acts chapter 2 we heard this morning, where God brings into being, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, see how this is connected to John? Into being the church, he calls into being the church from Israelites and converts to Judaism who have come from their scattered places where they have been dispersed by exile. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, or proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And if you were to map that out on a map, it would almost be a complete circle around the city of Jerusalem, those locations. Here's what's going on. This is what God, this is exactly what God continues to do with the Spirit. He takes exiled and alienated people who are out of fellowship with God and alienated from humanity, and then through the new birth, the Holy Spirit brings us back to life and gathers us together and creates the church. He brings a scattered and alienated people together, breathes into us, and makes us the church. Now, John records one more event, or one more saying of Jesus on this evening. He says this, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, if Jesus had just stopped with the giving of the Spirit, we would have been much more comfortable. But if you are consternated because, and you can tell when you're consternated, if you are consternated because you're reading this as if the church can just go around forgiving and retaining sins willy-nilly, um, I like your tie, 
your sins are forgiven. I don't like your hair, your sins are not forgiven. It's not that. You're forgetting, if you think that, you're forgetting the immediate context of this passage and also the greater context of the whole Gospel of John. Remember, this passage is about imparting the Holy Spirit to commission the disciples to carry on Christ's ministry in the world, to, be, to physically be his presence in the world. So this is about the missionary work of Jesus as presented in John. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. <clears throat> Which is ultimately about bringing people into a relationship with the Son so that they can be reconciled to a loving God. And the greater context of John's gospel, in that greater context, the forgiveness of sins, this is critical, the forgiveness of sin and the retaining of sin comes down to one thing. Have we believed in and accepted Jesus Christ or do we reject Jesus Christ? <clears throat> I often have conversations with people and they will, who are not believers and they're all, you know, um, uh, forklimped about this whole uh, Jesus thing, a little consternated, maybe even hostile. And they are saying, well, now, do you believe if somebody does so-and-so, they're just not going to go to heaven? Do you believe if they don't do this, they're not going to get, or if they do that, they're not going to go to heaven? You Christians, is that what you believe? And I always come back to just one thing. Here's what I believe. Whether or not you have a relationship with God is based on one thing. One thing! Have you believed in and accepted Jesus Christ, or have you not? If the answer is no, then you are condemned. If the answer is yes, you have new life in Christ. Why would I say such a crazy thing? It almost sounds judgmental. Well, it's because Jesus, in John chapter 3, yes, that chapter that gives us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, will actually hear that at the uh, comfortable words this morning, should not perish but have eternal life. That same chapter, on, at verse 18, just go two verses over, Jesus says, Whoever believes in him, but whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is the condition. And so we see that forgiveness. So, when the, so if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And we see that forgiveness of sins pronounced by the apostles as those gathered on the day of Pentecost received their, their, their message and placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Peter is preaching. We could have gone down to verse 36. This is where it begins in chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is kind of pointed preaching. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now here is the good news for us this morning. On this side of Pentecost, we are both commissioned and empowered, commissioned and empowered. We get John 20 and Acts 2. We read them together this morning. 
We are commissioned and empowered through the gift of the Holy Spirit to literally be the presence of Christ in the world today. I quoted Peter Lightheart earlier. In that same piece, Lightheart goes on to say that through the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the ongoing presence of Christ in his church is thick and sturdy as flesh, as tangible as the flesh of Chinese Christians gathering in secret for worship, as substantial as Nigerian Christians suffering with joy at the hands of Muslim persecutors, as dazzlingly visible as nuns caring for disabled children in an Indian slum. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, I, I think that is very applicable for Christchurch this morning. Just uh, not, not long ago, it might seem like a long time, but it's only been a couple of months, three or four months really now, we sent out uh, 30 people from Christ Church to start Louisville Parish. And here's what happens when you do that. That means you have 30 less people in your church. that you've. So here's what that also means, though. Those are volunteers. Those are volunteers, people who were doing ministry here. And now they're doing ministry somewhere else. They need to be doing that. That's what God called them to do. But that means there is, a, there is more for less people to do. There is more for less people to do. And I want you to know, I know that many of us are weary this morning. We're weary of, of the ministry we have been doing. Uh, let me say a couple of things about that. First of all, praise God, we're going to one service next Sunday for the summer. Yay! That's at 10 o'clock! So if you show up at 9, you're going to be really early. If you show up at 11, you might be around to receive Holy Communion. So, uh, but 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock is when we're going to do that. And that means we have all of these volunteer ministries that have to be done on a, a Sunday morning. So that's just, wow, I'm so glad that that's going to happen. That's just good wisdom stuff. And it's fun to go back to one service and have everybody in one room uh, during the summertime. But here's the, the second thing that I think happens when we do ministry. And I want to tell you, this is your pastor. Uh, I do this. I've been rebuked for doing this. One of my bishops recently has called me on the carpet about this. Isn't it great that you have bishops that bish? <laughs> I love bishops that bish. He acts like he's my pastor. And I ought to do what he tells me to do. Well, I did. So, but it, it's like you cannot keep giving out if you're not taking you can't keep giving out if you're not taking in. Brothers and sisters, we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you need to be intimate with Jesus before you can be his presence in the world, or you will forget what he looks like. I need to be, I can't stand in this pulpit and give you any, oh, I can try, and I've done it. And it gets stale and tepid and boring if I stand here without the Spirit of God pouring into me before I seek to feed you. That is true no matter what ministry you do. Everything from AV to garden or to the, you know, to the yard and grounds to keeping the building functioning to doing children's ministry to doing uh, food pantry. Yes, there's a blessing in the moment of doing that ministry, but if you're not being filled up, you're going to dry up. This is, let, me, let me give you what the Lord spoke to me. Wow, he spoke powerfully to me this week. Uh, I've been living in this passage, and it comes directly to this. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning at verse 5, 
Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trust, uh, whose trust in man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, listen, and makes flesh his strength. And we do that in ministry when we cease to be filled with the Spirit. This is not good. Uh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is what happens if, it's not, if this is not life flowing through us by the Holy Spirit. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness. Parched. Some of us are feeling parched. In an uninhabited salt land. And he goes on in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. See that intimacy there? The one who's not trusting in flesh to do ministry, the one who is trusting the Lord to, in, in the Lord to do ministry, he is so much better at this than we are, friends. He is like, this is what happens when we are letting the Spirit of God control us as we trust in him, as we let him minister through us. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream. My trees have gotten a lot of water. I planted a redbud tree a while back. It has gone nuts. I planted it to, to have shade over my back deck. I have got shade over my back deck. It's like grown a foot already because of the water. It does not fear when heat comes, for it, its leaves remain green. In other words, you don't get charred. You don't get parched. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it, listen, and this is about ministry, this is about the spirit, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, this morning during Holy Communion, when we come to the table of the Lord, I want to invite you to come and be prayed for. We're going to have a couple of prayer ministers. I know that Pat Weaver is. I think Stephen Linkus is going to be praying for you too. And during that time, I want you to come and be prayed for, especially if you're feeling parched this morning, so that you can be filled afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled to offer life-changing witness. Nobody gets saved if we aren't filled with the Spirit, the Lord being the power for our witness. God does it sovereignly, I know, but the common means of grace that God has given for evangelism and you will be my witnesses wait, uh, Acts chapter 1 wait until you are powered uh, from on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth how are we to be witnesses for Jesus Christ power from on high so come and be filled with for life changing witness be filled to serve whether it's food pantry or children's ministry or nursery or anything else. There are so many things that you are doing. This, and all of us in this room, I can look around. I don't see anybody who's sitting on their hands at Christ Church. Nobody. We're all involved in ministry. Be filled to serve in the academy or medicine or law or in your cubicle or at office or as a parent. Whatever it may be, be filled to be the ongoing physical presence of Jesus in this world because this world needs Jesus as much as it did when those first disciples gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.